0: Welcome back, Tribe. It's another episode of the Do Big Things Podcast. And boy, oh boy, do I have a good one for you guys this week. Beth Pascal, winner of the 2021 Western States 100. Need I say more? She not only won, but she nearly ran it faster than any woman ever has in a blazing 17 hours and 10 minutes. Wow. All I can say is wow. Wow. I've been lucky enough to run this race, and I did it on a really hot year. I know firsthand how tough that course is, and I barely squeaked in under 24 hours. Beth, you are a maniac, and I mean that with nothing but respect. Uh, we get into it all in this conversation, from running in the front to how she balances her life with her day job, and finally, winning Western States on 49 Gels follow us for exclusive content by following patreon.com slash do big things by following us on patreon you'll get some behind the scenes action the b-sides if you will you'll also have a chance to know who's coming up on the show so you can ask them questions yourself be a part of the tribe you guys this is where the good stuff happens we want to thank our sponsors. First of all, Exoskin, my favorite running shorts, my favorite running socks, the Exo Toes. If you wear them and you're not convinced, send it back for a full refund so you got nothing to lose. Check them out, you guys. Exoskin.us. Use our discount code BTC, all caps, for 15% off. This podcast is also brought to you by On Pace Wellness. You want to take your fitness to the next level? Contact On Pace Wellness. He is all about nutrition. Nutrition. Get you on pace with nutrition. Mention this podcast. He's going to give you a 10% discount. Get you tuned up for success, baby. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing. The finest non-alcoholic craft beer on the market. Have yourself a tasty beer or two without all the negative side effects. Check them out, athleticbrewing.com. Use my discount code, McRobertsA20, all caps, for 20% off the best NA beer around. Buy two six-packs or more, you don't have to worry about shipping costs either. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for this year's winner of the Western States 100, Beth Pascal. Okay, Beth Pascal, uh, what a treat it is to have you in the house today. Uh, I feel like I'm catching you at a seminal moment in your life because not only did you just win the Western States 100, but you just got married.
1: Uh, yeah, it's been a crazy few weeks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I still can't quite believe that this has all happened. Um, but yeah, it's, I'll, I'll look back and think what an amazing time it time it was right now it seems yeah overwhelming and it hasn't been without (laughs) a lot of stress along the way but um but yeah things are going well
0: things are going well yeah so i'm guessing you were planning on getting married well before western states so this was all planned out
1: (laughs) Uh, no no Um, okay Well, okay well well yes we we planned it for last year and then it was canceled um But with the rules in the UK, so we had planned it for this summer, um, but we only, they only made the announcement that it could go ahead a couple of weeks before Western States. And with cases going up and everything in the UK, we were resigned to the fact that it wouldn't happen. So we hadn't done much replanning. Okay. Um, and then we then we're told it could go ahead, but we had to implement a load of new rules, um, which and modify the setup and things. Um, and that also it was very much a DIY wedding. Everything <laughs> was done ourselves. It was at my parents' house. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was super, super busy uh, the two weeks between Western States and, um, and the wedding. Okay. Yeah. So, um, still I apologize to anyone who sent me a message or an email in the last month or so. <laughs> Not many people have had replies yet.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, and I'm catching you right after a bike ride. You're still wearing your bike gear. So I love it. You're just, uh, you got a lot going on, but, uh, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. And, uh, can't wait to, uh, hear your story here. So, Um, but first and foremost, congratulations on Western States. I mean, uh, incredible effort, incredible performance. Um, and you were at Western States a couple years ago and you did really well that year too, but, um, it wasn't a win. So were you looking at this year? Like you're, you're going to be super competitive. You're going to do everything you can do to come in and win this thing. Or or where was your head at before this?
1: Yeah. Like, my preparation had been different um and i was going into it wanting to win um or at least make the podium yeah um i think a lot has changed for me in the last couple of years since that since the 2019 western states um in that i i knew i was in good shape like i'd had some good results i felt like i'd kind of taken a big step in my career and started to win some races so i knew I had a better chance um you know it, even at the beginning of this year I thought you know I I this could be the year mm. um and yeah took some time of work for the first time went out to the states, spent some time training generally took it like much more seriously mm. <laughs> than um than I'd done before and put a lot into it um and obviously, you know, lots of other people who, you know, put a lot into it as well. But for me, I was lucky and it paid off.
0: Yeah. So when you say you put a lot more into it this year, what does that look like? Um, I, I know you took a little time off work, came to the US, you were in Arizona for a while and doing some training there. Was your training more specific to Western states? Or how did the training change?
1: I wouldn't say the training changed that much. It was only that it was more I was training in conditions that were more um, yeah more suitable and more oh. specific it's okay. difficult it's not like I was doing different sessions or more volume or less volume or different anything was different it was just the fact that I wasn't doing my sessions in the UK I was doing them at altitude in the heat mm-hmm. um, which made a big difference I think yeah. But but even saying that like I don't think I got any fitter in my in my time over here. I I was already fitter, say in April, um, when I came over. Um, so all I had to do was, you know, kind of fine tune things um, and and yeah, a- adapt to the heat and the altitude. Um, and I wasn't trying to do anything heroic in those in those few weeks in in Arizona.
0: Okay. Do you work with a coach?
1: I do. Yeah, uh, my coach is Martin Cox.
0: Okay, um, so what does that look like? What's your relationship like with your coach and what sort of work does he have you doing on a weekly basis?
1: Um, so, so yeah, my, my coach, um, we have a very close relationship. Okay. Um, in in that, I mean, when I say close, I mean, we have a lot of contact like on a daily Or more than once daily basis, Mm -hmm. Um, and and actually, like my training, it didn't go that well initially when I was in Arizona, Um, and I was feeling quite rough for quite a long time. I raced canyons 100K in April, Mm. took a long time to recover from that, Um, and I didn't didn't really have a training program. uh, Well, I had a training program, but it would change on a daily basis so it got to the point where I was deciding what training well Martin was deciding what training I was doing for the next day after the session the previous day So it was very much we were taking one day at a time um which I needed to do because I needed to just be really careful and listen to my body and I think um yeah that really paid off um I normally I do more intensity than I was doing in that in that training block prior to Western states. All I was really doing um, were the long, like long specific runs um, and a few kind of moderate paced runs on the on the flat or rolling hills. Um, I wasn't doing any of the normal sessions that I would do sort of in the winter back here. Like I wasn't doing any in intervals, any hill reps, nothing really high intensity. Just because um, I think it's hard being a sea level dweller going to altitude and training I know I, I think it takes a long time for you to adapt sufficiently to the altitude to then get the training benefits from doing really hard sessions yeah um, so yeah, it was yeah nothing, nothing heroic, really, yeah. um no.
0: You mentioned that it took a long time to recover after Black Canyons. Um, is that what um, changed your training, or sort of kept it at bay, or why do you think it took so long to recover from that? And what did that look like?
1: I think it was because I went to altitude straight after racing, oh. and I've never done that before. It's always I've always gone to altitude, you know, a few weeks before a race to adapt, but never. Uh, gone straight after a race I think it was like a double whammy I couldn't recover well because I was my body was trying to get used to the altitude and I'm cert, certainly someone who struggles with altitude mm. a lot mm-hmm. um which was one of the reasons for going there ironically because I needed to I, yeah I needed to um adapt yeah. um yes yeah, so I think that's that's what it was uh, to be honest okay. um but you know in the end I <laughs> it, it Like, you know, I did recover and it worked out okay. But yeah, if I could do it again, I'd probably wait a week or so after, after a big race before going up to altitude, but that's just a personal thing for me. You know, other people might be absolutely fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You never know how things are going to flush out until you try it sometimes. And, uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, how did you get into this crazy world? Um, so if, if I understand right, you were a runner a long time ago, and then you did some other sports, and then you got back into running. Um, how, how did it all start for you? And how did you get into this crazy world of running 100-mile races?
1: Um, I, I read a few books Um, when I was getting into the sport, sort of, yeah, eight years ago or something like that. Which ones? The, the, the you know, there's normal ones that people read, the mainstream books like Dean Karnasis, um Born to Run, yes. books like that. And and before that, I didn't know that this sport existed. And I was like, that's crazy. That sounds completely <laughs> mad. I want I want to try that. I don't think it's possible for me to run 100 miles, but I'd love to try. And it was, yeah, absolutely nothing to do with Thinking I could be good at it, um, but it just sounded sufficiently crazy to yeah to get me interested,
0: sure yeah, and so is that right though you ran way back, I don't know if it was when you were a kid, and then you took some time off and then did some other sports and then came back to it
1: uh yeah, I mean, I ran athletics cross country at school um but not i was I was okay I, you know I was uh, at a sort of county or inter-regional level but I wasn't in a system that um we ever took running or training particularly seriously right um I think in the UK like unless you remember a club like we just don't have the In my school anyway we didn't have like the infrastructure like no one we would train a couple of times a week but we didn't really do much else um so I wasn't yeah in that I think I would have liked to take it more seriously back then but yeah I just wasn't in the environment that It just didn't happen.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and yeah, then had had a a a few years. Well, it wasn't like I intentionally stopped running because it was never really a big part of my life, I guess. I just did some other things. Um and yeah, came back to it. But it's I can't really compare, you know, running track at school to (laughs) to how how I got back into it. Sure. Running mountain ultra races. Completely different world.
0: Yeah. What other sports did you get into?
1: Um, I did, I was a lightweight rower at university actually. So I did that for a few years and then just dabbled with some other things, some cycle touring, a bit of triathlon. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you have much success there or were you aiming for success in triathlon or, um, was it just something you were doing for fun on the weekends?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was not aiming for success. I did like an Ironman distance triathlon once, nice. okay. and i I rode a wooden bike. Um,
0: <laughs> a wooden bike? <laughs> Do bike, tell.
1: My bike was grown for me. Actually, it was made of bamboo. I'd what? been working in Zambia, and when I was out there, this company was starting up making bikes from bamboo, and they made this frame for me. And it was one of the first frames that they'd made. Um. And yeah, doing this triathlon, I just wanted to ride my bamboo bike. Um, so certainly, if you wanted to win, you wouldn't ride a bamboo bike. But I thought, <laughs> it cool. wow. Um, yeah, yeah, I certainly wasn't being competitive in any way.
0: Okay, that's kind of a cool little novelty you did. a so it was an Ironman distance on this bamboo bike, bike. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Impressive. Um, and was it then? while you were going to college, I'm guessing that you started reading these books that kind of piqued your interest and fascinated you.
1: Yeah. Around that time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Dean Carnaz's book opened my eyes to this whole world too. Like, uh, just kind of blew my mind. Like this guy's going out on training runs and ordering pizzas while he's out on the run. And I thought this is just completely insane. Like, I, I wonder if I could be insane like that so, it
1: sounds like we had the yeah similar start same there. thing
0: yeah yeah so I mean where does that quote unquote insanity come from with you and when I say insanity I mean it in the best way but um, what what was it that that fascinated you about this world and how, what made you want to try it?
1: I guess I've always been interested in endurance challenges. I mean so yeah I guess my friends and family probably weren't surprised when I was like I'm gonna run a hundred mile race <laughs> um I remember when I was like 12 or 13 my uh my brother and my dad were going to cycle to my grandparents house which was 100 miles away ah. they didn't really cycle I didn't really cycle and I was like I want to come too and they're like yeah, yeah you can't you can't come yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's too far you don't have a bike <laughs> Um <laughs> I managed to convince them to let me go 20 miles and if I could if I was okay after 20 miles I would carry on and if if I was super slow and tired then I'd turn around and go home and yeah I did I did the whole thing um I was completely broken at the end I think they did regret letting me come (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah there's something I I don't know what it is but I've always kind of been interested in, in in pushing myself and um that type of thing.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Um what was your first ultramarathon?
1: Um it was a small race um on Exmoor which is uh, an area in the southwest of England where I was where I was living. Um it's a race that doesn't exist anymore. uh I can't remember what it was called the Exmoor Ultra or something it was about 40 miles I think
0: okay okay and how did Um, that go for you
1: uh good I suppose I think I don't know if I won it or not but certainly it was there were very few women in the field if I did win it like winning didn't mean that much (laughs) um but yeah I was very very sore afterwards um and, but yeah, I was hooked. I certainly wasn't thinking, you know, I never want to do this again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What was it that hooked you in? Is And I'm asking this, uh, coming from triathlon as well, because I, I did an Ironman distance triathlon as well. And it was cool. It was a good personal experience, but it's like, I didn't, everybody, I don't know how it is in England, but everybody is so focused on themselves and you don't make a lot of friends during an Ironman, but then you go to a trail run or an ultra marathon and you got 20 new best friends. Is it kind of the same way there? Is that what hooked you in?
1: I think that certainly helped. Um, um, Yeah, like the community and also the simplicity of it, I think. I like the way that you didn't, it was so easy. Having been a rower, where um, you're often in a, in a crew and like you want to train at a certain time of the day and that, that means that you have to have everyone else there at the right time and you have to have all the kit and there's always a lot of faffing involved. Mm. Um, I love the way that, that to train for ultra running was just the easiest thing in the world and so time efficient. And yeah, time efficiency was a big thing for me back then, um, because I was always super
0: busy with work and stuff. Okay.
1: So yeah, so so both of those things, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is so simple. You can just go out the door with a pair of shoes and and just get it done. And, and you don't have to rely on a bunch of other people or your bike being completely tuned up and ready to go. It's just it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does a typical day look like for you? Um, I believe you're a doctor. And I think you work in a hospital, but, um, how do you, one of our Patreon questions for you was, um, you know, how do you balance running with work life and regular life? Uh, it sounds like you got a lot going on busy. How do you do it all?
1: Um, well, I, I'll say normal life and normal life has not been the last, three months four months (laughs) right right (laughs) so because that's been very different but yeah when I'm working um I there is still no typical day because I work different hours every day so I do work sort of normal days um but also a lot of night shifts a lot of uh long days so 13 hour days um evenings that type of thing Mm -hmm. um and I yeah I I think I kind of thrive off that and I kind of miss it. Mm. Like, so I have to be super, super organized with planning exactly when I'm going to get all my sessions in for the week. Um, but I'm certainly when I'm doing, when I'm training a lot, when I'm working a lot, I, you know, take into account sort of the stress of that Mm -hmm. and count that as training as well. So being on my feet all day, um, is 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 tiring mm-hmm. um, and I certainly don't do any hard sessions around um sort of long days and when I'm working night shifts just because I don't recover um well so there's no point in doing it um, so my training is is like not particularly spectacular when I'm working a lot um, <laughs> And I think I get away with it by having some periods. So some periods will be really, really intense with work and training. And I know that, you know, in the build up to a big race, there'll be a couple of months that aren't sustainable year round. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that I can get away with that if I take time back at other points in the year to kind of let myself recover um, physically and, and psychologically yeah and um, so yeah so, so I guess it's what I'm saying is it's a complex a complex way that I try and periodize training and work throughout the year um, and it's yeah it's sometimes it's it's really really hard and not sustainable but uh, but yeah I, I've just about been able to get away with it over the past few years most most of the time
0: yeah yeah so is that something that you sit down with your coach and try and map out, like week by week, day by day? Like, okay, this is going to be a busy week. Uh, I'm going to have to squeak a couple runs in at odd times, or what? It, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, yeah. So my coach will know exactly when I'm when I'm working, okay. Okay. Um, and make make it work. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but at the same time, we keep stay flexible as well. Like if I'm working night shifts, for example he won't be that specific with what training I'm doing. I'll prioritize sleep and I'll sleep for as long as I can. And if I can sleep all the way through the day, which very rarely happens, then I won't train at all. And if I have an hour to spare, I'll train for an hour or two hours to spare. I'll train for two hours. So keeping it flexible as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, that feels good to hear you say that because I think most people's training is like that. I know mine's like that. I wish that I could get up at four o'clock every morning and do two hours and then go to work and everything is happy, but it just doesn't work that way. No, uh, and
1: certainly not for a long period of time, but yeah. you, you can get away with it if you want to take some risks at certain times of the year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so do you typically have like weekends off where you're able to get in some longer runs or some back-to-backs or what's that like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I work some weekends, but have some yeah. weekends off as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would do, I yeah, do do back to back long runs when I can. Yeah.
0: yeah. Before Western States this year, were you logging some big miles? Um. Or big I, for you?
1: I only had a cup, two or three week weeks when I would say they were big miles. Okay. Um, I plan to do. had had to have a few more weeks like that but just with yeah listening to my body and when I started to feel good um I've been feeling good for like a week and I was like okay this is the time to go like we Mm. can up it we can take we would afford to up it a bit for a few weeks but yeah it was only two or three weeks that I would say I was running a lot before tapering again okay um yeah yeah
0: Do you attribute your success this year to that time off that you took from work and the time you were in Arizona training at altitude, training in the heat?
1: Part of it. Yes. Part of it. But also I was fitter even in January. I was fitter than I ever have been before at that time of the year.
0: Just like accidentally fitter or were you training specifically or what happened?
1: I guess kind of accidentally fitter um so so last september i i rolled my ankle and had a, a, a i broke my ankle essentially i had a posterior malleolus fracture um so spent about eight weeks on the bike or doing very very minimal running um and very quickly when i started running again i was fitter than i ever had been before um and I don't know whether that was, you know, the time on the bike that it helped my fitness or whether it was the time off running that meant I just recovered. I, uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. And certainly I wasn't expecting to get to come back fitter um after that injury, but yeah, it, for some reason it, I, I was, and I was, yeah. So I was sure in January, February, I had some really good, really good training, probably the best training I've ever had actually then. Um And I was, actually nervous that I was going to peak too early I felt in February like I could have I was ready to race you know I guess you know like a lot of people it had been a very long time since I'd had a race Mm. um yeah so the challenge was more about kind of sustaining that and not Mm. burning out too early in the season um so yeah so but then I would say that that time in Arizona and the time of work did really help as well. So I think it's a combination of both.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's mentally really hard to sustain that. If you feel like you're peaking or t- like too early, like, how did you do that? How did you mentally map that out and say, okay, I got to stay at this level for the next few months?
1: Um, Well, it is probably more of a challenge for Martin, my coach, to be honest, to make sure <laughs> to right. maintain it physically. Uh, I just do what he says. I have the easy bit. Okay. Um, no, but I think I got. It gave me a lot of confidence um, yeah. early in the season, for sure. Yeah. It probably helped. It wasn't mentally a challenge because when all your sessions are going well, like there's nothing. You you feel you feel great, right? Yeah. It, yeah. I feel great mentally anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the challenge was, yeah, just not overdoing it too early in the season. Okay. um, And yeah, Martin figured that one out.
0: Okay. Please. I'm curious, do you do any cross training, stretching, uh, lifting weights, body weight exercises, or anything else crazy that's in your training regimen that uh, we'd like to hear about?
1: Uh, I do. I do cross train a bit, um, but only when, if i never had any niggles i'm not sure i would cross train mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i mean as i said i spent time on the bike when i was injured last year and mm. i do a bit of cycling yeah i cycle reasonably regularly but not you know on a maybe like once a week twice a week okay. if yeah. i'm completely healthy um and um st- i do some strength and conditioning um Again, it's kind of periodized throughout the year. So sometimes the year I will lift lift some dumbbells and things. Um, the last few months, it's just been bodyweight exercises and some core. Um, yeah, yeah. At the moment, I'm starting to do some upper body, more upper body stuff, just to uh, get used to using... Help help with um, strength, upper body strength for using poles huh, for huh. Uh, races later in the season. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah.
0: Um, going back just a little bit, um, when you were running ultras and having some success, was there a, mo- a moment that sort of switched in your brain where you thought, "I wonder if I could do this professionally. I wonder if I could win one of the big races." Um, was there a specific moment where something changed for you or was it just a slow build up to get to this point?
1: Yeah, it's been a slow buildup, I guess. I mean, when I probably, when I first won a race, I thought, oh, wow, maybe I could, you know, win, win an even bigger race. Mm -hmm. And at some point it probably occurred to me that I could win one of the biggest races, but it certainly wasn't like I did my first race and right. I'm going to be a professional runner. Yeah. Um, no, it's been, it's been, I guess there has, have been like a few, a few turning points. Um, I think when I, I won the British trail running championships, which was in 2016, I think, which was probably the the most competitive race I'd done before. And I thought, oh, wow. Okay. Like, I want to take this more seriously. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and rearrange my life a bit so I can, um, get a coach, get in like, you know, um, some structured training for the first Mm -hmm. time, um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's been kind of progressive, I would say.
0: For sure. And when you were in Arizona, um, what sort of, um, acclimation were you doing to the, to the altitude? What sort of heat training were you doing or was it simply just going out and, and running in, in those conditions?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Okay. In fact, I was actually so I was staying in Flagstaff, which is about uh, I don't know I don't know what it is in feet, but two thousand one hundred meters. And I was actually when I was acclimatizing, I was driving down lower to train um, to Sedona, which is about seven hundred meters lower. Okay. Um, Just for better quality training, so I'd feel better during my sessions. And then when I started. To feel better, I would train it in Flagstaff at that Mm. altitude. Okay. Um, And heat-wise, I wasn't doing anything other than (laughs) running in the heat. Um, And and not every session. Like I wouldn't purposely go out at at midday every day. Um, I think the thing with heat is that you do. You obviously need to do some running in the heat, but, but it does reduce the quality of the session. Um and you do take longer to recover like if you do every single run in you know a hundred and hundred degrees then then you're not gonna get many many like solid training runs in you and it's yeah you're you know you you do feel wiped out afterwards so some some runs but but I wasn't overdoing it
0: sure um but it worked in your favor this was a hot year at western states. Um, talk to me about the heat, uh, the year that I ran it, it was really hot too. Like, I think at the time it was like the second hottest that, that, that race had ever seen down in the canyons. It was like 125 degrees or something. Um, how did you manage that heat?
1: Um, I did kind of feel like I was learning as I went along, like you can, you can train in the heat, but you can never really prepare yourself for what it's going to be like running for that long with that level of support on the course yeah. so I it's not something that I had like dialed in like you don't have you know aid stations every five miles with ice like on your training runs yeah. <laughs> um, so all that stuff I was kind of yes I had some experience in 2019 but it was much cooler then um, so I did feel like I was kind of making it up um, as I went along and listening to my body um, but yeah I just did all the normal things um with ice and cooling off at all the creeks and yeah I didn't have any any crazy novel strategies
0: yeah yeah
1: um yeah but
0: you uh you dipped in the creeks when you crossed creeks you did the ice at the ice at the aid stations I saw a video of you like your crew was just pouring ice down your arm sleeves and in your hat and pretty much everywhere so pretty much yeah. just the standard stuff
1: exactly yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Um, how many people did you have out there for crew and or pacers?
1: Um, I had two pacers. Okay. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure <laughs> of how many people were in my crew. So, so my husband uh, Matt was there crewing, and then. Sort of last minute, one of my paces and his girlfriend um, Brady and Joe um, offered to crew early on in the race. But actually, when we were there, there was quite a few people I noticed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like um, help, helping my helping me ice up. So I couldn't. I couldn't exactly. <laughs> say some people that I have met before. Some people I hadn't. Okay. Um I would say like six or six maybe
0: okay okay something like that yeah um did your husband get a chance to pace you or is he not is that not his style
1: um no he he was most he was chief crew he needed to crew me
0: yep yeah got it got it okay
1: (laughs) he he could have paced me but then i'd have to have someone else to crew and his yeah he's he's crewed me a lot he knows me the best. And yeah, that was probably the most important or the most appropriate role for him. Got it. Plus he, plus he hates running in the heat. So,
0: okay. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> um, and then your pacers, how did you pick your pacers? Um, was it very specific or was it just oh, these people are available at this date? Okay. That's who we're going with.
1: Um, so in 2019, um, so the rate, the race has a system where they can match up runners with paces. So yes. especially national runners who don't, can't bring all their I have, mates over. Yeah, right. Um, and I met, uh, Brady, um, who Brady Burgess, who's a guy from Berkeley through that system. So he paced me in 2019, oh. um, and, and a mate of his, and then, yeah, we, he was great, <laughs> Um, We got on really well and he did an awesome job. So I really wanted him to pace me again. Um, And then he roped in a mate of his, Nadja, who agreed to pace me from uh, Forest Hill to the river before Brady. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm always curious about the pacing aspect of things. What, What did your pacers do that was just clutch for you that really, really worked? Did they have anything that they did or that they said, or any, or was it just being with someone for those miles?
1: Um, I think it is. I, um, certainly just being with somebody, having an extra pair of eyes, make sure you don't take any wrong turns, looking behind, make sure there's no one there. Um, and certainly, yeah, encouragement. I mean, I can't remember exactly what (laughs) they were saying. Sure. I remember being a bit skeptical about the whole pacer thing in 2019. Cause I'd never had, you know, it's not normal in Europe to have paces. Ah. Um, and I was like, do I really need a pacer? Like they can't carry anything. Like, are they, like, what's the point? But I was, yeah, I was after 2019, it helped so much just mm-hmm. having someone there um, that, yeah, I would al- always want a pacer yeah. for sure. Um, but I'm not, <laughs> I couldn't say exactly how, how they helped, but it, yeah, it was, it was invaluable having them
0: there. Yeah. It's just a huge psychological boost just to have someone running right next to you. And, um, yeah, I don't know what it is, but it helps a lot. So, um, so cool. Um, I believe you were quoted at one time saying women are better at pacing themselves in races like these. Um, <laughs> uh, what did you mean by that?
1: Um, well, I think the results speak to themselves in that the women clearly did very well at Western States this year. This
0: year, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, There's three um, women in the top 10, right?
1: Three women in the top 10, and I think it was 15 of the top 30
0: were women. Wow, incredible. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know exactly why why women... we. I think I was expecting if you if you looked at the men's field, so many guys just blew up mm. um, in the latter stages of the race or even the early stages of the race and, and DNF. But that didn't really happen in the women's field. Mm. Um, you know, everyone was c- kind of steady. Um, no, not many people had massive bonks in DNF mm. with with the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I don't I don't know exactly what it is. Whether men are just physiologically less good at dealing with the heat or the women were just better like just smarter dare mm-hmm. i say it i mm-hmm. i don't i don't know exactly yeah,
0: yeah. no i would um, but
1: it, yeah i seem to be the case that.
0: i would totally agree with you it's that, like uh, women are sometimes just better at suffering through that stuff and uh gosh hats off to you guys do you have a particular low point that you remember where you thought, uh, because from what I understand, you were leading most of the race for the women. Did you have a particular low point where you thought, Oh man, I, I, I don't know if, if I can hang on to this pace or, um, was it just smooth sailing all day?
1: I had several low points. Okay, <laughs> yeah.
0: sweet. I want to hear about them.
1: <laughs> um, where I felt like I yeah really slowed down and had to take lots of time at aid stations to cool off. Okay. Um, and every time that happened, I was like, "Am I going to bounce back this time? I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, or surely, surely someone is going to come past me." Mm-hmm. But it, I just think that they were probably the times in the race where everyone else was having a tough time as well. So, for example, coming out of the second canyon, um, so Michigan Bluff, mm-hmm. I yeah, I felt pretty rough. Had to sit down. Had to t- had to take a couple of minutes uh Cal Street around Cal 2 well the whole of Cal Street was pretty rough to be honest Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but especially around Cal 2 I had to sit down I think they were the two times I had to sit down and be like you know if I'm going to bounce back from this I need to you know take a minute to 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 cool off yeah um and luckily yeah I I I bounced back but I, I didn't know that I would at the time
0: for sure yeah
1: and i think i think it was just i think it was all heat related because they were the points where you've kind of it's hot or or for example coming out of the canyon for example you've gone a long it's a long climb and you haven't been iced up for a while um and then you you cool off a bit drop your core temperature and feel feel better again
0: yeah So you explain it. Like I I had to take a minute. Was it literally like a minute or was it two minutes or how much time exactly? You know, it's probably a little fuzzy for you, but do you remember how long it was at each aid station?
1: I have no idea. (laughs) Not that. Yeah. Maybe I can't imagine it was more than two minutes. I think sit down, it feels like a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I certainly, um, I mean, even the other aid stations where I didn't sit down, it, does take a minute to to get ice everywhere you need a lot of pair of ha- pairs of hands like changing your bottles someone getting your gels in someone putting ice on your head some tying something around your neck ice everywhere it it yeah it takes a while but it's definitely time well spent <laughs> yeah
0: yeah totally necessary and uh, in a yeah. race like that it's just so hot yeah. um yeah so you were leading the race most of the time. Did you feel like you were being hunted? Were you running scared? Were you looking over your shoulder, or were you just in your own head? Uh, I'm running my own pace. It is what it is.
1: I was running scared for sure.
0: Okay, sweet. <laughs> okay, what? I mean, I mean I think, what does that feel like?
1: Um, I mean, I don't. I think it's the same if you're winning as if you're, you know, in in fourth, right? um there's always someone who's behind you trying to catch you um and yeah I guess it it was a little bit more intimidating being in the lead perhaps um but I see it overall as a positive thing you need to be a bit scared mm-hmm. <laughs> <right>?
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure yeah, yeah. I mean it propels you forward when you're scared like that.
1: Yeah, a positive thing overall, especially in the last 20 miles. Yeah, I think yeah, being scared really pushed me pushed me on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, was your crew able to communicate with you where second place was, or were you looking over your shoulder the whole time, or what was that like?
1: Um. So yes, they did tell me, but only sort of towards the end of the race. Okay. Um, I don't think I had any information before Forest Hill I would say Um, and I understand now that the gap was not massive but very I think it was Ragnar who was behind me and she was just seven minutes behind seven minutes behind seven minutes behind Um, so I was maintaining the lead but certainly I couldn't relax in any way and I think my crew are pretty stressed about it too
0: okay okay um,
1: but yes yeah, so I got some information um in the latter stages and and yeah I was trying to work out in my head I think I heard that Ruth was 18 minutes behind at Green Gate or something and I was like well if all I have to do is not run a minute per mile
0: <laughs> slower yeah, yeah. Than
1: Ruth and I'll be okay uh. um yeah so so that was that was helpful and it also meant that um the last few miles I could actually enjoy knowing that I I didn't have to be super super stressed and in 2019 even running down the road at the end I was constantly looking behind me um for head torches because it had been really really close so it did mean I could actually enjoy those last couple of
0: miles okay okay what were those last couple miles like? Um, I'm guessing you were running with your crew there at the very end before you hit the track. Was it a moment of celebration or was it just surreal or where was your head at?
1: God, I'm getting goosebumps now. Thinking nice. it. Okay, cool.
0: <laughs> it uh, it was, yeah,
1: I, it was the most, it was, yeah, I, I can't even explain it. It was amazing. It was to have that many people out there on the roads um like cheering me on yeah. and yeah it was it was really really special and it was so special to be able to share that with my crew and paces um yeah it was just magical it was yeah i think you know those last that last mile on the road was as special if not more special than then, um, you know, running around the track at the end, there were mm-hmm. so many people out, um, which I hadn't, doesn't happen if you come forth, funnily enough. Yeah, right. yeah, it was a completely different experience. It was, yeah, super cool.
0: Wow. Have you had time to take it in, to soak it up? Because I know that you were busy pretty much right after the race.
1: <laughs> um, honestly, I, I, maybe it sunk in a little bit now, but it has been strange in that as soon as we got home the focus just completely shifted (laughs) even more (laughs) all-consuming right (laughs) Um, so yeah and now even when i think about it like i still i don't yeah i get goosebumps thinking about it now but yeah most of the time i'm looking forward now i guess
0: yeah yeah what does your husband think about all this (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh what running in general or western um
0: well I'm referring mainly to western states I mean well first of all how long have you guys known each other did he know you at the beginning of your ultra running and then now that you guys just got married the like what are his thoughts on you winning the biggest race in the world
1: well yeah I think he's pretty happy about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so he we got together when I was just getting into running. Okay. So I was, I was running, um, but I wasn't like some sort of elite sponsored runner or anything. Right. Um, and yeah, it was really cool to kind of discover the sport with him actually. And he's, um, he runs, he's not in any way competitive, he, but he really enjoy, enjoys like a good day in the hills with friends and he's cool. done some races and things we have done some races together so it was yeah, it was cool at the beginning kind of sharing that with him um and yeah like he I think he enjoys crewing more than he lets on <laughs> <laughs> I, he is one of those things that he gets super stressed as, as well I mean it's like even for the runner like do you enjoy every moment of the race like absolutely not yeah. And he, as a crew, does not enjoy it because he's always so worried about me, yeah. um, and and stressed, and I don't I don't know. But but afterwards, he is obviously super happy. Yeah. So I, it's a similar experience to him. Like he finds it tough, but the reward is worth it. Yeah. For him.
0: Yeah, yeah I, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean crewing is uh, sort of a thankless job. There's a lot of waiting around, hours and hours of waiting. And then your runner comes through and you get to see them for in your case, like one minute, you stick ice down everything, and then they're off again. And then you gotta go to the next place and wait around some more. It's it's a tough gig. Um, and some would argue even tougher than than uh running a hundred miles. But uh, yeah, uh,
1: I would totally say so. I would. Yeah
0: there's just a lot of logistics and organizing that go into it, but what's next for you, Beth? Um, you won the biggest race in the world. Um, do you have your sights set on Western States next year, or are you looking at other races this year or where is your head at?
1: Uh, I am hopefully racing UTMB in six Ah, weeks.
0: Nice. Um, What was it? Six weeks?
1: Something like that. Have I got that? Okay. But sounds it sounds about right. Um, yeah, so' I'm, I'm aware that it's it's a tight turnaround. yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I want to give it a go.
0: So how do you negotiate that? If it's only six or eight weeks away from your A race of the year, um, how, how do you train for that? Do you take some time off where you're just doing low volume and then slowly ramping back up? Or what is that like for you?
1: So I've had three super easy weeks. Okay. Um, I mean, I've been forced to take it really easy cause I've been so busy with other things. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, we kind of figure that as long as I can get like a week of really good training, Perhaps perhaps I'll do like three or four back to back long runs. That's all I need to do. Okay. Um, just to, to prepare my legs for, for the bigger mountains. Yeah. So yeah, it's gonna be yeah, probably another another 10 days of taking it easy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, then a big, big week and then starting to taper.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So yeah.
0: Um, are you thinking about Western states next year or is that too far away?
1: I think it will be very hard for me not to come back. Yeah. But I haven't made something really big would have to come up, yeah. which would come back. So yeah. Yeah.
0: I cool. Well, we hope you do. Um it's just it, it's a cool story just watching your progression throughout the years and uh coming in and like I said winning the biggest race in the world I mean it's it's got to feel pretty rewarding and it's only it, it's something that we can only imagine what, what what it feels like so hats off to you on just an incredible performance and um are you uh back to work now I'm
1: not going back to work until after UTMB
0: oh nice okay
1: so yeah, I've got another another 6 weeks or so. Uh,
0: okay, so you got no excuses. Uh <laughs> no pressure for UTMB, but you've got you got the time to train, you've got uh the time to focus. So good yeah. luck. We'll be keeping an eye on you.
1: I don't feel any pressure anyway. So good. Um, right. Anything else that happens this season is a bonus.
0: Yeah, yeah. What else do you get up to in day-to-day life? I mean, I know you're busy with work and training, but do you have any other hobbies or anything else you do in your spare time?
1: Uh, <laughs> n- no. That's pretty,
0: that pretty much covers it. <laughs>
1: not really, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot of time for other things. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do I... No, no one's asked me that question for a long time. <laughs> um, no other big, big hobbies or passions at the moment. Okay. I would say.
0: What do you do to relax? Um, when you finally have some downtime, the training's in for the day, work is over. Do you just sit down and watch some Netflix and binge on ice cream like I do? Or like, what, what else do you get up to?
1: When I'm working and training, I don't really do. Relax, There's
0: relax. no time.
1: <laughs> no, like occasionally we'll like watch some Netflix, but not like you know, most, most days there is no time for that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Takes you write up until, or work until you need to go to bed. Okay. So there's not, it's, yeah, it's pretty full on.
0: It's pretty full on. <laughs> What's your, um, how much sleep do you normally get? Do you normally get a full night's sleep or are you usually cutting that short?
1: Um, well, I reckon I've averaged about five hours a night for the last, Whoa. since Western States.
0: Really? That's yeah. not much. It's
1: not, it's not much. I felt awful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Be honest, Beth. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> it's
1: really because I've been, I was so stressed about, about the wedding yeah. um, and organizing everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's up and down, up and down. Like I'll, I'll have certainly less sleep when I'm working and then try and catch up mm-hmm. on a, on a day off or something.
0: Okay.
1: Um, But yeah, sleep is not one of my life skills and I don't.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like you do well on, on little sleep. Um, I'm curious what your diet's like. Do you work with a nutritionist or a dietitian or anybody like that? Or do you have a specific diet that you follow or not so much?
1: Mm, Not so much. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I, like 95% of my diet is plant-based. Mm. Um, uh, but that's mainly for environmental reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I eat eggs because we have chickens at home. Oh, cool. Um, and I'm not like super strict about any of it. Like I'll have some dairy milk in my coffee if I'm at work and there's nothing else. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly rigid with that. Um But yeah, I mean, I've had I have worked with nutritionists in the past and I kind of know roughly perhaps from my medical background, like how how to feel properly properly around training. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'm not I I don't monitor anything specific, I would say, when it comes to that, Um, but just follow follow kind of basic principles. I guess, okay. which I've been for a lot of years. So I don't, don't really have to think about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then um, lastly, what's your, your food intake like during Western States? Are you li- living on gels or are you able to eat real food out there? Do you ever have stomach problems?
1: Um, yeah, pretty much living off gels. Okay. <laughs> I use, I use spring energy gels. Yep. Um, which are the, the gels that have a bit of more complex carbohydrate in. So they're mainly kind of rice and fruit-based. So it's not like I probably, I couldn't survive off your standard multidextrin gels for a
0: hundred
1: miles. I, yeah. But the gels I can survive on. That's so great. I do take some energy drink, like electrolyte drink as well. Um, I really enjoy Coke at aid stations. Yep. Um, and that's about it. Yeah. I don't, I had some, some crisps or potato chips as okay. you remember there. Yes. Um, a the times so, um, during the race, just cause I, I don't know. I, occasionally I just crave them when it's super mm-hmm. hot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I had a few of them, but that, that was it.
0: Okay. How many gels do you think you ate at Western States?
1: 49.
0: 49. You counted.
1: <laughs> when I, I'm pretty sure it was 49. 49. Wow. counted the wrappers or anything but that's what I calculated that I was going to eat and I pretty much that's yeah
0: you I, stuck with it okay so uh was it like a gel every how often was that
1: mm, It that probably works out at like three or four an hour
0: three or four gels an hour okay
1: three, 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 three I can't I have to do the math now because I was factoring in um the electrolyte drink as well which had carb in it i can't maybe it's more like three an hour um which works out at about 80 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour which is what i usually take in long races okay um yeah it's a lot of gels
0: wow a lot of gels um and it sounds like this was planned out methodically is that pretty much what you eat in training as well
1: no, I never eat that much. It oh. feels gluttonous to eat that much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but do um, you train with gels or do you train with real food?
1: Um, A mixture really. Okay. It, it depends. Um, yeah, I I probably should train more with like proper race nutrition, but okay. I just feels a bit greedy. Um, and I guess I like, race regularly enough to know that I don't need to practice my race nutrition over and over again Mm -hmm. for example like I did the same at canyons which was only what eight weeks before western states and it was went really well so um, I didn't feel like I needed to you know practice 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 with that
0: yeah it sounds like you've got it dialed and um, any stomach aches stomach cramps throwing up anything crazy like that
1: um not nothing nothing major i did feel a little bit nauseous at one point i think but it nothing that affected my ability to keep keep up with those shells yeah. Um, yeah. i think probably i mean to to run 100 miles in that heat i don't you're asking a lot to have like zero <laughs> stomach problems or nausea yeah. or anything like that yeah. so yeah i was pretty happy with the way it turned out um right. Yeah, nothing nothing major at all.
0: Wow. Um, how does your coach feel after your latest win? And and then after that, I'd like to know how your family feels about all this too.
1: Yeah, Martin was pretty happy. I bet. <laughs> after the race, I guess.
0: For sure. He's
1: despairing. Like when when he I told him like how much I drank on my wedding day. He's like <laughs> Um, that'll take a week to recover from
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: think it needs to get me back on the straight and narrow now okay <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i yeah i think my family are pretty happy they are they can yeah they can relate to it they do run a bit themselves um they've they've read some of these books as well so okay. they know about this and, um yeah i think they're um they don't tell me so much, but yeah, I think they're, they're, they're pretty happy for me.
0: I bet. Are you like the crazy person at the family reunions that the cousins are like, yeah, that crazy girl runs hundred mile races, or is it just pretty normal?
1: I wouldn't say I'm like the most hardcore person in my family.
0: Okay. You've (laughs) You've got people in your family more hardcore than you.
1: Well, for example, my parents who are, um, so last year um there were 65 and 70 my dad was 70 um and to celebrate their birthdays and their wedding anniversary they ran 48 miles in the mountains in the lake district here no way it's kind of cool especially as they're not they don't really do that much of that type of thing
0: wow. um,
1: so that that was cool yeah, um it is and arguably more impressive than anything I've ever done, knowing their running background.
0: Wow. What inspired them to do that?
1: Um, I think my husband bullied them into it.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> there's, a, there's a famous, there's a book uh, called Feet in the Clouds um, that is about um, the British foul running scene, essentially. Oh. One of our and they both read that and they were inspired by Joss Naylor, who is a foul running legend mm. over here. And he created the Joss Naylor Challenge, which is this 48 mile route in the Lake District um, that is for people over 50. Um, and there are different like, time cutoffs for completing it, depending on which age bracket you fall into. So that's what they did. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. Cool. So this is just all genetic. Your whole family's just a little. Whole family's got to screw loose here. This is awesome. I like it. <laughs> it seems so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. So you've got UTMB coming up this year. Um, do you have anything else coming up? Any other races or any other personal projects? Anything else you got going on? Um.
1: Everything else beyond UTMB is. To be decided
0: okay okay
1: <laughs> Racing wise running wise yeah um no other personal projects i guess i mean i go back to work um so that will take up most of my time for the rest of the year after utmb yeah. um no i don't think there's anything else okay I've had enough person yeah enough personal projects for the year so yeah
0: far. totally well Yeah, no, I hope you're able to like, just take some time and just sit with this. I mean, such a huge accomplishment. Um, Like I said, this is the race that everybody wants to win. So, and you did it. So hats off to you. Congratulations. Just a incredible, incredible effort. And this was the second fastest time for a woman, which is even more impressive. Um, Remind me who the first fastest time is. Who said that?
1: Ellie Greenwood. Ellie
0: Greenwood. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, and she was there that day.
1: Was she? Okay. Yeah,
0: I believe so. I th- I'm pretty sure she was. You no, didn't get I a did. chance to talk to her?
1: No, I didn't. I, I wish I wish I had. Okay, um,
0: okay. Well, I guess I could be wrong. I figured you probably talked to her that day, so I thought fellow, she was there.
1: She's a fellow Brit, so it's it's kind of cool that the first, the two fastest times are are um, by, by Brits.
0: Absolutely. Have you met her before? No, I haven't. Oh, okay, okay
1: over um in canada i believe but okay. she hasn't lived in the uk for for a while but. got it
0: got it cool well beth so impressive so cool uh just hats off to you and uh just soak it up take some time to just enjoy this thing and uh then you know get back to your training just like just like you're doing. So. Um, and thanks for doing this. I I so appreciate it. And, uh, we can't wait to see what's in your future and we want to see you at UTMB and we want to see you at Western States next year. So just hang in there and keep doing what you're doing.
1: Uh, well, thanks so much. It was fun. It was fun to chat.
0: Absolutely. Well, have yourself a a good rest of the day. I really appreciate you.
1: And you, thank you. We'll see ya.
0: Bye. All right, my friends, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for checking out another episode. How inspiring. The inspiration's just everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, Sabrina Stanley just uh, won Hard Rock today or yesterday, whenever I'm recording this. Uh, Congrats to her. She's been on the podcast before. Um, Gosh, the inspiration's everywhere. I love summertime in Colorado. I am so fired up. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing. Are you thinking about your first 5K marathon or ultramarathon? We are here for you. Uh, we started this company in 2019 with the goal of helping people get to the top of mountains and cross finish lines. We offer coaching programs and training plans from beginner to elite, as well as offer crewing and pacing for ultramarathon runners. I love the sport of ultramarathon, and I love seeing people cross the finish line. It excites me, it turns me on, fires me up. If we can be a small part in your story, it would feed our soul. We know how to get you to rally and get you into that finish line. We want to help. We want you to do big things. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast so that you're notified when a new episode drops. If you like what you hear, please write us a review or share it on social media. It helps us to be seen among all the other podcasts out there. Uh, These conversations are on YouTube. Head on over there and subscribe as well. And find us on all the social media platforms as Big Things Crewing. As always, our website is big-things-crewing.com. And we got a Patreon. Patreon.com slash do big things. That's where the good stuff is, you guys. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors Exoskin, the best running apparel from hats to socks and everything in between. No blisters, no chafing, no odor. Check them out. Use the discount code BTC for Big Things Crewing, and that's all caps BTC for fifteen percent off. It's worth your while, guys. Do it. And we want to thank Athletic Brewing for making this possible. Twenty percent promo code there is McRoberts A twenty. All caps, we're hooking you guys up with a discount on the finest in a beer around. We also want to thank Will and On Pace Wellness. If you want to dial in your nutrition and do big things this year, I'm talking big things. You want to light it up? You really want to take things to the next level? I mean, this next level I'm talking about is is scary. That's where we want to go. Look up On Pace Wellness. Mention this podcast for a 10% discount. Remember, you guys, life is short. Do big things. Pedro, my man, thank you for the new track, my friend. Pedro, take us for a run.